Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Is Christianity an institution, a program, or a movement? In the last three episodes, we've been looking at this from different directions, and we're about to go into the real barn burner of them all, session number four. You know, in episode number one, we looked at why are so many churches declining? And that was tough swallow, but very important place to start. I hope it got your attention. It gets my attention every day. I pray about it every day. Then episode number two, what are the characteristics of a movement? Because Christianity is supposed to be a movement. And we looked at that in episode two. Then in episode three, we looked at what does movement look like in your church And what we did is we looked at a lot of these things that are not this, but this, or they're this, but not that. A movement, not an institution, a process, not a program, a journey, not an event. Messengers, not consumers, relationships, not organization, community, not a building, a way of life, not a compartmentalized activity, spiritual adventure, not a religion, an experience, not an academic statement, disciples, not graduates of the church or of a class. We are all people who are part of a movement that has momentum. Uh, We are missionaries, not members. We are ministers, not observers. And we are transformed, not conformed. And that's really where I wanted to start today, where we ended last time in episode number three, And I want to repeat what Paul said to the church at Rome. If you know anything about history, you know that the Roman Empire really went to the dogs. I mean, the Roman Empire became so immoral. Nobody could ever take over the Roman Empire by force. They had the greatest army that probably ever marched. They were unbelievable. No one could ever defeat them. They died. The Roman Empire disintegrated from dry rot, moral decay from the inside. Well, there was a church in Rome, and oh, those people were just surrounded by people that, well, in some ways look like some of our society today. I am very sad to report. So Paul writes to these folks, and he says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but Let God transform you by a complete renewal of your mind. Then you'll know how to please God. This really is the foundation for this next episode. What is the power of the movement? Because the church and people like you and I, if we're going to be effective for Jesus and really follow his calling for our individual lives and collectively as a church, we have to not be conformed in the way we do church, which is the drift that we have experienced, but we need to be transformed. And we're just going to go right back to the Bible for that. So let's get started. This is exciting. What is the power of the movement called Christianity? We like to talk about what is called a healthy breakthrough atmosphere. If you want to pray for something in your church, you can pray that you want your church to grow, that you want people to be discipled, 
that you want disciples to disciple other people, that you want to really make a difference in your community, that you really want to make a difference in the lives of the poor, that you want to show the love of God to people. You can pray about all those things, but don't forget this one. In fact, you ought to start and end with this one. Pray for a healthy breakthrough atmosphere in your church and in your own life. And we'll describe this because when you reach a healthy breakthrough atmosphere, which literally is a movement within your church to get there, and for many churches, it'll take, well, most churches take three years, somewhere close to three years. That's a lot. But hey, how long did Jesus spend with his disciples? About three years. You might say, well, Jesus wasn't dealing with Christians. Those were just fishermen that didn't have a clue. That's true, but you're not Jesus, nor am I. So, yep, it'll take about three years. We field tested it, and we know this. Healthy breakthrough atmosphere. What we're talking about is the environment where Christians live and churches grow. So we're really talking about a breakthrough environment, an atmosphere of the church. In other words, it's not just learning stuff, and it's definitely not changing programs. It's got to become the air you breathe, the atmosphere. We have a name for this, and we call this the culture of your church. And what happens is Jesus gave us the model. And we talked about it a little bit before about how Jesus taught the disciples the kingdom of God is like, and then he told a story. And the kingdom of God is like, and they told another story. And at times he demonstrated that as well. Sometimes his demonstration led to the story, and sometimes the story led to the demonstration. But the culture that Jesus taught is kingdom culture. That means it's not worldly culture. It's not the Roman culture. It's not the Philadelphia culture. It's not the American culture. It's not the British culture. It's not the Australian culture, the Chinese culture. No matter where you are in the world, it's a different culture than the one you live in every day that is your country, your community, your neighborhood, your world. Jesus developed kingdom culture, and that kingdom culture is what the church is supposed to look like. That's the culture of the church. And Jesus told several people at several times, my kingdom is not of this world. And if you study that scripture, it means my kingdom isn't anything like this world. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people talk about it like the kingdom is not of this world. And what they think about is, yeah, God's kingdom, I'll be there someday. That'll be after I die and go to heaven because I'm a believer in Jesus. Well, you will go to heaven if you're a believer in Jesus, but his kingdom is there in heaven, but it's also here on earth. It is wherever citizens of the kingdom gather a community we call church. That's God's kingdom. So we are in the kingdom of God, really take our cues from the king, Jesus, from the Bible, what we learn from the Bible. 
It's the only rule book we have. It's the only guidebook we have. It's the only source of guidance and power that we have. That's where the Holy Spirit puts those words into action in our lives. So in the church, we are gently guided by people who are pastors, sometimes apostles, some are prophets, teachers, evangelists. Those are people who are given as a special gift to this kingdom in its local entity, who are to equip God's people to do ministry. Not to do ministry, but to equip God's people do ministry. And the leadership in the church is not like at your company or in your country or your state legislature or whatever. It's not top down. The leadership for the kingdom is bottom up. Jesus told the disciples, hey, the leaders in God's kingdom are not like the leaders of this world. They don't lord it over people. They love people. They nurture people. They disciple people. They don't boss people around. They don't have boards and make rules and and have legislatures and go by constitutions and all that stuff. No, they rule by love. It's bottom up. Why? Because everything Jesus taught is bottom up, or another way of saying it, it's organic. Like planting a garden. You plant a seed, that's bottom up. You don't dig it up, you nurture it, you water it, you pray for good weather, and God brings the increase. And you look for the harvest. That's all bottom up or what we call organic growth. So much of what we do in so many churches is not organically directed. It's top down. So let's say a pastor understands this. Okay, it's bottom up. Yes, I'm going to plant some seeds and a sermon. I'm going to tell people that some people have different spiritual gifts that work really well at reaching people and doing ministry with people who are in the hospital. Some people have those kind of gifts. So I'm going to plant seeds. I'm going to preach about that. And I'm going to say, anybody that has those gifts, let me know and we'll help you find them out. And then I will take you along with me and I will disciple you. It's not rocket science. It's just what Jesus did. You go along with me. Yeah, just come along. Don't do anything. Just come along. You know, like, come follow me. Sound familiar? It's what Jesus did. Yeah, I'm going to the hospital today. Joe, will you come with me? Then the next step of discipleship is, hey, Joe, you've done this with me a few times. How about you do one part of the hospital visit? Like, why don't you read the scripture that would be comforting to these people who visit the hospital? And I'll do the rest. And I'll be there. If you get tongue-tied or whatever, no problem. I'll take over. Then as Joe learns more, I disciple him at the third level. And I say, hey, Joe, why don't you do all of it? And I'll just watch. And then in the fourth, I say, Joe, you can do this by yourself. And by the way, take somebody with you and run them through the four steps. That's four steps that go like this. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. And do it all over again. And then as Joe goes and starts discipling someone else, I start discipling someone else in some other area of ministry or the same ministry or whatever. That is organic. And what it leads to 
is an absolute exponential growth movement. The problem that we face in the church is that we grow by addition, but the kingdom is designed to grow by multiplication. So instead of having an evangelism team of a handful of people, everyone should be a witness trained to share their faith with people in their social networks who are not Christians when they show an opportunity and God makes it clear that they're receptive. So one of the most important roles of anyone who sees themselves as a leader of any part of the church is to understand one of your most important jobs is to continually define kingdom culture. Why do you have to keep doing it? Because kingdom culture leaks. And the world is influencing people more days a week than you see them. Now, having said that, I want to talk to you about five elements of kingdom culture. This is something you should learn, memorize, and work through the rest of your life. When you look at kingdom culture, there are five elements. The first one is values what you consider to be important. Does your neighbor who's not a Christian, is it important to you that that person is going to go to heaven or without God go to hell? Do you think that person matters to God? Then do they matter to you? What are your values? What do you consider important? Number two, beliefs. That is what your life demonstrates you believe is truth. It's one thing to say you believe something. It's another thing to demonstrate that you really do believe this. There are all kinds of people who believe the Bible is truth, but there are certain parts of that truth that by their actions they demonstrate is not true. There are many Christians who say, well, you know, I know it's not a law, but I know the New Testament church Christians, they practiced tithing, gave 10% of everything God gave them back to the work of the Lord. Yeah, I believe that's a biblical principle. And then you look at their giving, and of course, the average for the United States in churches is about 3% of people who go to church every Sunday. And so God's kingdom is always short on finances. And the real issue behind the issue is it's not really a belief because our life doesn't demonstrate that you can't outgive God, like the Bible says. Because if you believe that, you'd be a lot more generous. Number three, the five elements of kingdom culture not only includes values and beliefs, but also attitudes. Your attitude is your posture toward God, like an airplane. An airplane actually flies not flat to the surface of the ground, but with a nose at a certain angle. As the plane spends its fuel, it becomes lighter. As it gets higher, that changes. And as the wind comes from a different direction, and so you have to continually trim the angle of the nose of the airplane if you want to get from point A to point B the fastest. And what pilots call that is the attitude of the airplane. It affects everything. Have you ever seen a t-shirt that says, attitude is everything? It's not everything about the culture. It's one of five things, but it's very important. Remember, Paul said to the Philippians, 
who were in a young church and had a cultural issue, probably consumerism. And he said, hey, you should have the attitude that Christ Jesus had. He was willing to give up everything for you. He emptied himself. He didn't put himself first. It wasn't me first. And you should be like that because he emptied himself and God raised him to the higher place above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, that's because they had an attitude issue. You see, all the epistles in the New Testament are written by the apostles who were trying to correct attitude drift already in the early church. And we have it in the Bible to learn from. Number four, priorities. Priorities are what you will always do first. And priorities are very important. And consistency in our priorities, especially our faith priorities, are very important. What you will always do first. And number five is worldviews. That's how you understand the world of the church and how that world works. Now, together, these make up the cultural elements that are the kingdom of God. And like Jesus said, for example, in John 18, 36, and I have said before, he said, my kingdom is not of or not like this world. Now, the sum total of these five elements make up the atmosphere and what that does is it represents the DNA and it reflects the spiritual potential of your church for breakthrough. And so when that culture and that spiritual DNA, like a helix of those five elements that overlap and impact one another, is strong among many in your church, then that spiritual DNA is strong, you have breakthrough potential. And so that's what renewal comes from. There's a great book by Paul Pearson about the history of missionaries and missions in historical perspective. And he's looked at all the movements in the history of Christianity. And one of the key elements is personal spiritual renewal of the individual in the churches always occurs before there is renewal in the entire church. And renewal in the entire church always occurs before God brings revival to the nation and uses the people in the church in that revival. So that's how important that is. As we move into the next episode, we're going to talk about the movement imprint. We're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, geometric progression. And we're going to look at the various elements of changing the atmosphere and how that works. So until next time, this wraps up episode four. And I pray God will bless you as you learn more. And I hope you're as excited as I am because God is moving in the church today. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.